Hey everyone, it's Brittany, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but we are on episode 90 already. Welcome to the Know, Like, and Trust show with Brittany Gardner, the podcast where we explore the world of personal branding and how to build your know, like, and trust factor up for ultimate business success. And now here's your host, Brittany Gardner. Today, I am talking with Kristen G. Roberts. She's a California licensed attorney and is the founder and managing attorney at Trestle Law APC. Kristen develops and implements brand licensing and certification programs, resulting in millions of dollars of revenue for her clients. Consistently recognized as one of the top IP intellectual attorneys in her area, Kristen has received numerous awards and recognitions. Kristen's decade of experience and knowledge relating to identifying, prioritizing, and monetizing company and personal brands makes her the go-to attorney for all businesses looking to leverage their brands into tangible revenue. She's been featured in top podcasts and blogs, including Balanced Bites, Modern Mamas, Harder to Kill Radio, Whole30, and more. Kristen lives in San Diego with her husband, Nick, daughter, Billy, and two rambunctious boxers, Ziggy and Zoe. And guys, I can't wait for you guys to hear this interview. We dig deep into what online entrepreneurs, digital course creators, people who run online programs need to know about protecting their information, their content first, and then how to move on from just introducing it to the marketplace into leveraging it to further their income and explode their business growth. With that, on to the interview. Kristen, I'm so excited to have you on the No Like and Trust show. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. So one of the things that caught my eye when I was first looking into you, if you want to call it that, is the way you talked about leveraging your intellectual property. And the reason it caught my eye so much is that most of the people I have worked with haven't actually identified with the term intellectual property in the way I think that you mean it. Because when people like me and people like many others in my audience here, IP, you know, they think, you know, copyright, they think big corporations, but the reality is it's a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so if you want to think of it as more of like a bundle of rights, that's sort of the way I think about it. It's not just copyright. It's not just trademark. It's not just patent. It's all of those things together. So it's all of the I like to think of it as kind of the magic sauce that makes your brand your brand. So when people talk branding, I think a lot of people get confused as well because they just think trademarks because they go, oh, my logo, my name, that's my brand. Well, no, your brand is made up of not just those things, not just your name and your logo and whatever it is that you're presenting out to the world, but it also comprises your you know, your course materials, your, you know, your workbooks that you're putting out, your free content that you're putting out, all of that content is actually intellectual property. So yeah, it's, it's a lot bigger than just the sort of really specific and technical words that are used to describe the various things that you're creating. Think of it as the magic sauce, so to speak of your business. Ooh, I like that. The magic sauce of your business, because everyone I work with has some of that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's oftentimes not really understood how to go about protecting it in the right way. And laying that foundation in terms of protection is really, really important if you ever want to, at some point in time, leverage it and monetize it. So I'm going to pose myself here as an example, just so we have something concrete to talk about. 
I am a brand strategist. I talk a lot of brand strategy content, not surprisingly. Obviously, the title of the show will lead you to understand that I instruct people on how to build up their know, like, and trust factor so they can build thriving businesses. So, you know, I have a lot of ideas there. And a lot of it is ideas that have been based on things I've learned from other people, things I've read, and then, you know, combined together into my own unique special sauce, but because it's based on ideas and and based on, you know, concepts that other people have in part taken part of, like, where is the line of what is mine versus what is collective? Well, first, you kind of want to ask yourself, what category does this fall into under the intellectual property umbrella? Because like I mentioned before, intellectual property is comprised of kind of the three main buckets, so to speak. There's the trademark bucket, there's the copyright bucket, and then there's the patent bucket. And just really generally speaking, the trademark bucket is you're going to fill up with all of those things that are source identifiers of your company. So for example, the name of your podcast, that would be a trademark because it tells consumers, you know, who you are, the source of the good or the service, which in this case would be the podcast. Copyright is a different bucket, right? So that is going to encompass all of your creative works that you've come up with on your own. So kind of like you were talking about, you said you have a lot of content that you're creating that you've sort of taken from other places, but you've created your sort of unique way of delivering that content. And that uniqueness, that unique way that you are explaining certain things to people, that's really where you can find your ability to protect it. So you can't necessarily protect the overarching ideas, right? Anybody, for example, could write a book about a kid who, you know, discovers that they're a wizard and goes off to a school, but not everybody can write a book that's called Harry Potter and, you know, he fought Voldemort and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it really comes down to how you present that information in a unique way. And that's really kind of how that's sort of in the copyright world. And then the patent world is the patent bucket, so to speak, is where you protect your inventions. So things that are useful, non-obvious, let's say you come up with a really cool tool, a piece of software, for example, or a you know, a a new dongle for your iPhone or something like that, that's really where you're going to want to protect that invention through patent and not through copyright or trademark. But they can all sort of interplay with each other. Just using the example I just gave of a piece of software, for example, copyright can also apply to software. And if you name this piece of software something, you can also have a trademark. So that's why it's really important to kind of understand what you're creating and where it falls. So that way you can come up with a plan to properly protect it. So when you do go to make money off of it and leverage it, you're leveraging it in the right way because you've already protected it appropriately. All right. So I definitely have trademark bucket stuff. I definitely have copyright bucket stuff. Not so much patent stuff for now. I mean, who knows? The world's an open place, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. But I'm looking at things that I, you know, should do, may do, don't really want to deal with, but probably, you know, will eventually. And and how do I know as a business owner that what I am doing right now is the next right step? Yeah, absolutely. So it obviously would kind of depend on what your goal is for your business. So I always try to approach my clients or working with my clients 
as if I'm a partner and not somebody telling you what to do, right? So I don't look at your stuff and go, this is what you need to protect. Because obviously that comes across as very self-serving. You know, my goal isn't to make money off of you. My goal is to be a partner in your success down the road. So how we strategize that is really going to be dependent on what specifically you see for your business in terms of its growth and the direction it's headed. So for example, let's say you're creating a course or community and you know that this is going to be a big piece of your business, a big revenue generator for you. I would then say, okay, well, let's look at your course and figure out what we should focus on in terms of the trademark protection, the copyright protection. And then, you know, obviously we look to patent just to make sure that there's nothing there, but we really try to focus on, you know, what you have and then we protect that. So I don't do a shotgun approach because I think it ultimately winds up wasting valuable money and resources that especially now businesses don't have. I like to pointedly look at what it is that you're focused on and see if there's anything that we've missed or you've missed or I've missed in terms of how we can sort of make sure that that intellectual property has been protected appropriately because a lot of it takes time. So a trademark takes almost a year from filing to registration. So if you are, you know, behind on some of this, it can take a lot of a lot of unnecessary time to get caught up. So since you mentioned my podcast earlier as a trademark option there, I actually have a situation that just came up in the last week, which I'm finding amusing right now, which obviously, who knows where I'll go in the future. But I got an email in my inbox just a handful of days ago, and it was a lovely woman who said, hey, someone approached me to be on the No Like Trust podcast. So of course, I searched it out because I always listen to a podcast before I agree to come on as a guest. And I'm guessing that this isn't you, Brittany. And she linked to uh, the podcast that she was requested to be on. And sure enough, there's a podcast out there called the No Like Trust Podcast, which is not an identical name to my show. And I looked into the person running it and they have a very, very different kind of business than I do. But now I'm sitting here like, wow, did I mess up? Should I have taken care of this years ago? Is this too late? Like, I'm just kind of sitting there in this amusing little situation that may or may not actually be amusing. Yeah, absolutely. Trademark issues can really hamper your business growth because they ultimately wind up being expensive, especially if they turn into a dispute. Uh, My background is in litigation, so I've handled a number of trademark litigation claims in my career, as well as litigation before the trademark trial and appeal board. And normally what I do is because I work with smaller businesses and growing businesses, most of what I do is figuring out the right time to settle and the right settlement that works for everybody. Because let's face it right now, nobody wants to spend $50,000 litigating over a trademark when they could probably spend half that just to rebrand, right? But interestingly enough, trademarks and what you should be aware of is that trademarks The rights to a trademark are not established by registration. In the United States, they're established by use in commerce. So oftentimes it's a rush to figure out who did it first. So who launched the podcast name first? And now that you're having what's known as consumer confusion, what do you want to do about it? Do you want to send a cease and desist letter? Should you send a cease and desist letter? Because maybe they were using it before you. Or do you want to reach out about possibly doing some kind of consent where you agree that, hey, look, both of us can exist in this space because we both agree that we're, you know, different enough that we don't think we'll step on each other's toes and we'll work to alleviate any kind of confusion. All of those are options. 
But I think sitting and sort of hoping it'll go away is the route that most of my clients take until they can't anymore. And then they come to me and they go, well, I tried doing all these things. Number one being sitting there doing nothing and it didn't fix anything. So now what can we do? And oftentimes being proactive is what will save you money. Yes, it can sometimes mean you'll have to invest upfront in, you know, resolving the situation, but waiting for a long period of time for it to turn into a true problem. That's really where I see clients spend the most money. Excellent advice. Thank you. Obviously, this is a big transition here. But when someone is in the process of developing an online course or digital course or or product of that nature, and I know that a lot of my audience is kind of in that boat, what is the level at which they should be looking into some of these more official trademark and copyright situations? Because most of the people I know it personally, at least, they go into this saying, okay, it's time for me to leverage my business doing everything in person or you know just one to one isn't working anymore it's time to start scaling i need to serve more people at one time because i have run out of my own time to grow my business digital courses and group programs things like that are the next step but they go into it not sure how much money it's going to make especially in the short term but but sometimes they're not sure if it's going to work at all but they want to at least give it a try but because of that you know they're doing it in a shall we say bootstrapped way and you know, services such as, as yours are not inexpensive. So where does someone go from that place? Absolutely. So like I said, the United States is kind of an interesting place because we do not establish rights by registration. What I mean by that is we are not a first to file country. So there are countries in the world where you claim your trademark or your rights to something by filing first. So, hey, it doesn't matter who came before me. I got it first. It's mine. Our country doesn't work like that. Our country is you have rights with trademarks. It's as soon as you use it in commerce. With copyright, it's as soon as it's fixed in a tangible medium and it has to be an original work of authorship. So that goes back to, you know, if you're just lifting somebody else's course and repurposing it, it's a lot harder to try and say, well, I created this, it's my course. But if it's just taking certain ideas and notions and you're making it really, really uniquely you or uniquely yours, then that would be subject to copyright protection. But it doesn't mean that you have to register them in order to have those protections. It just means it makes it a little bit more challenging to enforce those rights if you don't have those registered. So it's okay to have a course without protecting your trademark or your or your copyrighted materials. But when you go, let's say you want to start to scale, I think it's a common misstep to ignore all of that intellectual property that you've created and not go through the steps of protecting it before you start to leverage and scale and license and all of that. Can you expand a little bit upon that last statement? So from my understanding of what you just said, you know, go ahead, start making the course, the program, what have you. And then when it's time to scale that up, then it's probably a good time to look into licensing and things like that. Is that correct? Well, registration first, because licensing is the process by which you give someone else the right to use what you've created for a fee. So that's really where you can 
see some explosive growth in your revenue if you're strategically licensing your content, your brand, brand partnerships, that sort of thing. That can be really, really lucrative. But if you don't actually, quote unquote, own the registrations, you're effectively saying, I'm giving you the right to license what I own in the common law. And common law isn't as strong of a protection because each state enforces common law rights differently. Whereas if you're federally registered with the Copyright Office or with the United States Patent and Trademark Office, you have those federal registrations to back you up, so to speak. So it basically gives you this automatic authority that I own these things. And without them, you can still claim that they're yours and that, you know, you can still license. There's nothing stopping you from doing that, but it makes it really hard to kind of control what's yours because you haven't clearly delineated it, which you do through a registration. Okay. I'm going to put it in Brittany terms here. (laughs) So make the course, release it, put it out there, register it once you're kind of moving into the next step. Once it's registered, it's clearly federally yours. So if you do go down the right road of licensing it, there is no question of where the original content came from because it's registered to you. Yeah, that's basically it, right? So once you own that registration, it makes it a lot harder for it to be challenged because you've gone through the steps of protecting it. You've gone through the appropriate channels to protect it. It doesn't mean that no one can ever challenge it. It just makes it a lot harder. And it also makes it a lot easier for companies that are trying to give you their money to say, okay, well, we have something reliable that we can look at that's issued through the federal government that makes them more comfortable, right? So somebody that wants to be a partner with you, a licensing partner, they're not going to want to license something from you if you can't prove that you own it. And true ownership is usually exhibited through registration. Gotcha. So I come from a photography background and my understanding of copyright was was very much wrapped around what is copywriting a photograph. And I know for me in that former business, the minute I click that button, that shutter, I have created a piece of artwork. It is inherently my copyright. But until I register it, I can't go after anybody for damages should they misuse it without my permission. So when it comes to registering more of the the intellectual property, you know, from the digital course point of view, from the online learning point of view, I would assume it follows the same format, correct? That's correct. So you can do things like submit a DMCA takedown notice. You can send a cease and desist letter to somebody without having it registered with the copyright office. However, oftentimes what happens when you do that is, is they crumple it up and throw it away. So it gives you very little teeth to enforce without that registration. The registration is what gives you the ability to claim what are known as statutory damages. And that means that those are damages that are just automatically available to you for those infringements that occur. So since you've worked with quite a few people in this in this vein, I'm hoping that you can share a cool story of how somebody was able to leverage their intellectual property in a way that, you know, made sense for them in terms of like, you know, the timeline that they were on with business growth, but also that turned out really well. Yeah, actually, I have one that I can share about because I've actually talked about them before and they're kind of all over my Instagram page. I started out working with a company called Whole30 and they're a, I'm I'm sure you've probably heard of them. Most definitely, yes. So I've been working with them for going on six years now and I started out as their trademark counsel and I kind of floated this idea to the owners at the time and I said, hey, you know, 
what about if you started licensing your mark to other products, right? So other companies can say, hey, we, we comply with the, with the program. And then also on, in that same vein, we rolled out a coaching program as well. So a certified coaching program. And they were able to leverage both of those to make, you know, a very, very good, you know, amount of revenue off of those programs. So it ended up working out really, really well for them. And, you know, when they started working with me, they had one trademark and that was it. And now we have a portfolio of, you know, over, I think it's about 10 or 12 in different countries and here in the United States. And as that brand grew, we continued to expand that portfolio out. I think it's such a great example too. I mean, obviously the vast majority of listeners are going to know what Whole30 is, but I personally didn't realize that those would be separate trademarks. Yes. And that's the interesting thing. So the trademarks are, I always like to say that the United States government always wants to get its piece. So anytime you, let's say you're thinking about going vertical in your business, you'll need to re-examine your old trademarks that you have to make sure that they're still protecting what it is that you're planning to expand into. Because oftentimes what happens is, is you have this one trademark that you started with. And let's say you start out doing in-person education seminars, but then you switch to online. That online piece isn't going to be covered in your old trademark registration because you did in-person seminars. So that change alone necessitates that you file a new trademark application. This is all fascinating. I mean, I think in another world, I could have really enjoyed law school. Yeah, I think in another world, I probably wouldn't have gone to law school. (laughs) (laughs) That's a fair point as well. (laughs) Especially not now. No. (laughs) Going back to the Whole30 example, I've done that with several companies where we built out certified coaching programs out of these educational courses that they're offering. And, And it's been a really nice additional revenue stream. So I've done that for, you know, multiple different brands. And, you know, the results have been amazing. And it's often something that course creators overlook because oftentimes what will happen to a course is as it gets bigger and it grows, they need more people to help them run the course, right? Especially if you're offering any kind of in-person coaching. So if you can hire people that can act as certified coaches, not only are they able to help support your community, but they're also consumers of your brand because you're licensing the right to call themselves a certified coach under your program. I mean, realistically, the reason most people scale into courses in the first place is because they can't duplicate themselves at the in-person setting. So they go digital. But once they go digital and online, as their programs grow, they still run out of time and certification absolutely makes the next step. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Or even licensing. So, you know, a lot of what a lot of course creators don't realize is that they might have an untapped market in terms of other businesses. So a lot of times larger companies want to offer a similar kind of course, but they don't necessarily need your platform. They maybe have their own in-house platform and they just want the content. You can then license that content that you've created tailor it a little bit to them, but license it to them to use for additional revenue streams as well. Fantastic ideas. Kristen, this has been awesome. I really enjoyed not just learning about this, but I'm really excited for all the listeners to figure out how they can apply this in their business as well. So how can they get in touch with you and what are you doing in the foreseeable future? Yeah, so they can get in touch with me uh, through my website, trestlelaw.com, T-R-E-S-T-L-E-L-A-W.com. I always offer a no cost 30 minute consultation. So if anybody is interested in just chatting with me, 
they're welcome to get in touch with me and set up a consultation. My assistant will be able to handle that. And for anybody that references, they heard about me through the podcast. I actually will um, extend that to an hour consultation. So they'll get a longer chunk of time to spend with me. And then I am also in the process of building out my own course on licensing. So So that's going to be dropped probably in the next couple of months here. And when it does, I'm going to be giving some exclusive deals to your listeners in particular, because you've been so great to have me on the show. Well, thank you for both those. Those are really generous. And I know everyone will appreciate that. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much again for coming on to the show. And I'll have all these pieces of information and links in the show notes for the audience. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. It was really fun. Thank you again to Kristen. That was an excellent discussion and wasn't really intending to get into my maybe, maybe not trademark issue, but Kristen handled it with a blum. And it's fascinating to me how we all just kind of get into business and then have these issues. They just come up. So having someone like Kristen in your back pocket is paramount as you grow as an online business provider. Thanks for listening to the Know, Like, and Trust show with Brittany Gardner. For notes on today's show, visit brittanygardner.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe and leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. To learn more about building your personal brand for your business, visit brittanygardner.com. Music.